So this morning, we want to continue our study on Malachi. And uh, today, we want to, we're going to talk about honor and respect. Last week, we spoke about God proving his love to Malachi. Today, we're going to talk about honor and respect. And, uh, and I've said this before, but I have a hard time getting through studies very quickly. Can I tell you that? Um, so what... What should maybe could be a four-week study, maybe a six-week study. I, I really don't have any idea. But I just know that we need to dig deep into God's Word. And um, we need to let God's Word defend itself and take us down different paths maybe in different areas that would defend and, and support what God's Word is saying. So um, we're going to try to do that. We're going to try to be as, as expedient as we can. At the same time, we're not going to rush. So uh, just give me your patience, if you would, please. Now, I know that we can learn a lot from history if we choose to. There is much that we can do, that we can learn from history. History has a way of repeating itself in many cases. And if we're uh, smart, if we're wise, we can learn from history. It doesn't make any difference if it's a national history or our family history or biblical history. Uh, there are many lessons to be learned. And uh, here's a saying that I made up. I'm sure that other people have said something similar, but I couldn't find anything, so I made this up myself. It says, the wise man will learn from another's mistakes, while the foolish has to create them himself. But a wise man will learn from another's mistakes. It's only the foolish man that says, no, I have to make them myself before I believe them. And that's what history can do for us. If we study history, we can learn from other people. We can learn from the mistakes of other people. And I want to be a wise man, and I think you do too, or a wise person. I think we want to learn from the mistakes of history. And we don't have to repeat them ourselves because we're wise. We don't want to be foolish. And so that's why I may, be, I may be spending extended time maybe studying some things because I, I think that, that we have to be, be diligent in our intentional effort to learn. Last week we recognized that Malachi felt it was necessary to remind the people of how much God loved them. I think that's so important and i and i think it's so awesome that uh, before malachi jumped into the truth of what god was speaking to him that he felt it was important that he said god loves you and i think that's so important for us today too is that often we just jump into the truth of god's word and we don't think about how much god loves us but they questioned Malachi. Malachi said, God has always loved you. But the people replied with the question, well, how has God loved us? Really, Malachi? You know the life we're living. You know the problems that we're having. You, we, you know all the issues in, in our day. Tell me, how does this prove God's love? And then Malachi proceeded to, to prove to God's love to them by going back to Scripture. And I think that's so important that we go back to Scripture when it comes to proving anything. We talked about this in detail last week, and you can go back and listen online if you weren't here last week. And for those that were here, indulge just a little bit with me that I can digress. If you haven't, um, you know, if you haven't listened, then maybe this will help you a little bit. But 
if we don't go to Scripture to defend what we believe, if we just are depending upon our feelings and our emotions and our opinions, can I just tell you that the enemy will pretty much eat our lunch if I'm going to defend myself through my opinion? Um, my opinion will not stand up in his court. The only thing that stands up in the court of the enemy is God's word. When Jesus was tempted in, in, the, in the desert, he quoted God's word three times. He didn't defend himself. Of all men that could have defended himself with his emotions and with his opinions and with his feelings, it could have been Jesus. But Jesus didn't. He went to God's word and he said, it is written, and then he proceeded to tell the enemy why he could stand up to that temptation. And so we find Malachi doing the same thing here. They're asking the question, well, how? How has God loved us? And so now Malachi goes down this kind of difficult thing to understand for us, and that he, he, loved, he, he says God proves his love to you because he loves Jacob and he hated Esau. Wow. How does that prove God's love? Now, to you and I, being in a Western culture, this is a difficult one for us to understand. But for the people in their day living in the Jewish culture that knew Jewish history, they had an appreciation for Jacob and Esau differently than we do. Jacob was their forefather. Jacob was the man that God renamed Israel. And they are Israelites. And so God said, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. What that was saying is that God said, I want you to know how much I loved you because look at the lineage that you're in. You're in the lineage of the man that I loved, Jacob. And I find it interesting that when we, when we read the, the account in Genesis of, of when was Jacob's name changed to Israel, I have to go back and, and recognize what the context was here again. Esau and Jacob were constantly at odds. Esau, in God's omniscience, in God's ability to see the end from the beginning, God saw that Esau was always going to be contemptuous towards him. Esau was always going to be a problem for God. And you can read the accounts of how, how Esau, first of all, we know the very, the, the very beginning where he, he sold the birthright. He was the older son. He had the spiritual birthright over Jacob, and he sold it for a pot of stew. He was contemptuous of the birthright that God had for him. But then after that, he married ungodly women, knowing that it was going to be um, in the face of Rebekah and Isaac, his father and his mother, they said, do not marry of that tribe. And he did just despite his parents. He went out and married an ungodly woman. And then he did a few other things that the Bible calls about. So God knew that Esau was always going to be contemptuous. And he also knew that Jacob was going to have a heart for him, even in Jacob's imperfection. So we find this account in Genesis where now Esau and Jacob, they're finally going to meet after years. Jacob ran away because he was afraid that Esau was going to kill him after he, after he um, deceived, if you will, Isaac, the birthright, by doing what he did. And then his mother, uh, Rebecca, said, uh, Jacob, you need to run away because Esau is going to kill you. So he left. And so now this is many, many, many years after the fact. They've gone their separate ways. Esau has developed his own lineage of people, and they're called the Edomites. 
And now they're going to meet. Jacob and Israel are going to meet. And Jacob Jacob and Esau are going to meet. And Jacob is afraid, again, that he thinks that Esau is still going to be mad at him. He's going to take his life. So this is the context of what happens. Now, uh, Jacob sent a, a contingency ahead of him separated his family apart in case Esau was going to kill them all. And so Jacob's alone at night. In this time, he's alone. He's by himself. And this is where he wrestles with God. And let's read this. Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32, beginning at verse 24. uh, It says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Now, the man here was an angel, an angel of the Lord. That's what it's referred to. So Jacob wrestled all night long with an angel. And this is what's interesting here, is that Jacob was not considered a man's man. Esau was the man's man. Esau was the hunter. Esau was the tough and rumble guy. Jacob was the guy that stayed home in the tents with the women. (laughs) I mean, that's why he was making the stew, and Esau was out killing the animals. So here we got a, got a really interesting thing happening here. Here we have Jacob wrestling with an angel. And the angel says, we wrestled all night and I couldn't overcome him. I couldn't overpower him. Well, that's not Jacob's reputation. Jacob wasn't supposed to be a wrestler. He wasn't the man's man that his brother was. So there must have been something else happening in the spirit here. It must have been a spiritual wrestling here. Something was going on here because an angel certainly could overcome a man physically. So there must have been something else going on here. There was a spiritual wrestling. And I've got to ask you the question, how many times have you wrestled with God? See, wrestling with God is really important. Don't run away from God. Wrestle with him. Wrestle with him until the faith becomes your faith and not your parents' faith or somebody else's faith. You got to wrestle sometimes with some spiritual things. And Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. The angel said, let me go. It's daybreak. I got to get out of here. And Jacob says, no, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. That's a man that's chasing after the heart of God. I love that, 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 that thought. Um, this morning as we were coming into the fundamentals class, Laura was coming in. And, and I know your family was uh, gone last week. And uh, you were at the zoo, so you were excused. <laughs> But she said something that I thought was really important, and I thought I really liked it. She goes, you know, we really missed being in church last week because and when you miss church, she goes, it felt, like it, was a, it's been, it felt like it's been a month since we've been here. And, you know, and that is so a telltale sign of a person's heart because when you miss something that you really desire and you miss it, it leaves a hole in you a little bit. And we missed... You guys last week, too. I want, to, I want you to know that. 
rather than a person that doesn't have a heart's desire for church, they can miss multiple weeks and not even think about it. (laughs) They don't even care about it. It doesn't even impact them at all because their heart's desire isn't there. That's what, that's what Jacob was wrestling with here. That's the wrestling that we're talking about. It's that spiritual inner wrestling that we have that says, God, I, I just want you. I want a relationship with you, and I desire you. And you wrestle with God over some things. And, and you, say, you say, God, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Bless me. And then when the, when the angel heard that, he said, okay, now. Now I, got, now I know your heart. And now, Jacob, you are now going to be the father the grandfather, Abraham was the father, clearly, and Isaac, then Jacob. But still, Jacob then became Israel. And Malachi was telling the people that, and they knew that story. They knew the history much better than we do. So it meant more to them than it might be for us to have Malachi say that. That God proved his love to you because you are a descendants of Jacob, not Esau. You know, an interesting point here that's not obvious, that that. Again, uh, Isaac's people were called the Edomites. And do you know that uh, they were wiped out? There are no Edomites today. They're Israelites, no Edomites. But you know that King Herod, the same king that was alive in Jesus' day when Jesus was a baby, King Herod of Bethlehem time, King Herod was an Edomite. King Herod was a descendant of Esau. Isn't that interesting? And here you have Jesus, a descendant of Jacob, and King Herod, a descendant of Esau, still at odds. King King Herod was the king that went through and killed all the babies under two years old in Bethlehem because he was trying to kill Jesus. That's a descendant of Esau. Interesting, isn't it? I say all that this morning to emphasize the fact that we need to know and understand how much God loves us and how much deeper his love goes into our lives than what we could ever begin to appreciate. And until we learn to appreciate how much God loves us, we'll never really understand his commands for us. The reoccurring theme in the Old Testament is love. Love is screams out of the Old Testament. We may not see it that way. The New Testament, the overall theme of the New Testament is Jesus' love for us. may not always seem that way, but it is. And it's really important that until we're able to understand that, then we misunderstand so often God's calling to us back into relationship with him. Because love doesn't always seem like love in our description. This week I was in a, um, a conference call, video conference call, a Zoom conference call. I love those. They're really cool. It was sponsored by the Colson Fellows. I went through that program a number of years ago, two or three years ago, and, and John Stone Street, the president, was. this was an hour-long conference call, and, and John Stone Street was monitoring it. But his guest was Abu Murray. I don't know if you know who Abu Murray is. Abu Murray um, is a converted Muslim, loves Jesus. He is on the Ravi Zacharias ministry team. 
Now, we know Ravi Zacharias passed away a few, uh, just a uh, short time ago, maybe a month or two ago. But Ravi Zacharias was a, how do I say it? Zacharias. He was a really godly man and just a great apologetic and, and just really understood God's word. And so he had a ministry team and, and Abu was on that ministry team. And, um, and they, they, they wrote a book together. And the name of the book, I don't remember it exactly. I, I don't have the book yet. I just ordered it. But it's basically Jesus in the Middle Eastern perspective. How do you understand Jesus and the perspective coming from the Middle East? We understand Jesus the best we can from the Western perspective, but how, does he, how is he represented by the Eastern people, Middle Eastern people? And it's really, a, really it was a good, a, good, a good hour conversation. But in that, I, I raised the question, how, how did Jesus um, portray love and truth at the same time? How did Jesus live and, and tell truth and yet love people? And this was Abu's response, and I'll kind of summarize it here. He said, um, Jesus is the very personification of both love and truth existing together. And then he went on to say, one cannot have love without truth and it still be love. The very fact that God loves us means that he has truths that we must live according to. Otherwise, we cannot have a true relationship with him because God is truth, and there is no untruth in him. So love and truth coexist. They work together. So Malachi had to establish that. He had to establish the fact that, that God loves you so much before he could get into the truth part. Um, he said, Abu said that, Ravi said this one time, he said, don't give a rose to someone and then cut off their nose. Don't give a rose to someone and then cut off their nose. Well, that's interesting. What he's trying to say is a rose is a very uh, fragrant, fragrant flower. It has a beautiful smell to it. So if you give a person a rose and then cut off their nose, they can't smell it. So basically what he's saying is be careful how you handle love and truth. Because truth can cut off the nose of a person really quickly where they can't smell the savor of love. So we have to be careful. We love people and then tell the truth. He gave the example of how what parent would affirm a child in everything they do, calling it right even if it's wrong. How are you showing a child love if you just tell your child, oh, you're so good, you're so good, you're so good when they're bad. When they're doing something that you know they need to be disciplined for, but yet you don't want to, you don't want to risk their friendship, so you say, oh, no, you're good, you're good, I'm not going to hurt you, I'm not going to say anything bad, I'm not going to discipline you. Is that love? No, that's not love. Love says you discipline. Love says you correct your child, and that's what God does for us. So until we understand how much God loves us, we may not understand his discipline. And that's what Malachi is trying to do here, is that now he's, he's going to establish the love of God for the people so that he can begin to tell them the truth of God to the people without cutting off their nose. <laughs> without cutting off their nose. And, and can I just say that I've been guilty of, I'm a nose cutter. I've cut off some people's noses in the past, and I'm sorry for that. And maybe you have too. Yeah. 
So what is Malachi doing now? Malachi is going to begin dealing with people. And now we're going to get into the new part of the study. He's going to start dealing with people, but he starts at the top. He starts in the priesthood. These are the guys that should know better. These are the ones that have been given the responsibility to be the voice of God and be man's representation. He's talking to the priests. Now remember, in the Old Testament times, the priests were the people that would give the uh, sacrifice. They would go on a one-time uh, event yearly into the inner circle, their, their holy of holies, and they would, uh, they would um, perform the sacrifices there to, for people's sins for the year. Then they had multiple sacrifices then throughout the year as well. But it was always the priest's job to be the, to be the representation, to be the go-between between man and God. That was the priest's job. And so the priest should know better. So, but it is fitting, though, as we look at ourselves now, because you may look at it and say, well, if we're going to talk about the priest, then I really don't have to worry about this first part, this, the first chapter or so of Malachi, because he's talking about the priest. In other words, he's talking about the pastor. <laughs> but can I say that that's, uh, I, yes, he is talking to me, but he's also talking to you, because according to the New Testament, according to First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 and verse 9, we're all priests today. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal, what? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So as a believer in Jesus, you are a priest. Because we don't need a priest anymore to be our go-between, do we? Thank the Lord that day that Jesus died on the cross that the temple curtain was torn top to bottom so that all men had access to the, the Holy of Holies. We don't need a priest anymore. You are your priest. You are the priesthood of your life. Fathers, you're the priest of your home and so forth. So this is for us today. It's for all of us. So let's, let's read. Let's go into your Bible. Open your Bible at Malachi chapter 1 or that piece of paper that I handed you because we're going to read a lot of Scripture here to set the context of what's going on because now Malachi is moving now into the truth-telling. And again, this is a give and take. This is a heckling type of... He, he gives a word and then they heckle him. And he gives a word and they heckle him. So we'll, we'll talk through that. Let's, let's begin reading Malachi chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. Again, this is out of the New Living Translation. It says, The Lord of heaven's armies says to the priests, A son honors his father and a servant re- respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? Malachi replies, You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then they asked, the people asked, How have we defiled the sacrifices? Malachi says, You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Go ahead, Malachi says, beg God to be merciful to you. 
But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Asked the Lord of heaven's armies. How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. But my name is honored by people of other nations from morning till night. All around the world they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you dishonor my name with your actions by bringing contemptible food. You are saying, it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say, it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these, asks the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and my name is feared among the nations. And then we go to chapter 2. Now, recognize that in the original uh, writings, there were no chapter and verse markings. <laughs> so we can, he, Malachi continues on, even though we're changing the chapter, begin chapter 2, verse 1. He says, listen, you priests, this command is for you. Listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name, says the Lord of heaven's armies or I will bring a terrible curse against you. I will curse even the blessings you receive. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you have not taken my warning to heart. I will punish your descendants and splatter your faces with the manure from your festival sacrifices, and I will throw you on the manure pile. Then at last you will know it was I who sent you this warning so that my covenant with the Levites can continue, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The purpose of my covenant with the Levites was to bring life and peace, and that is what I gave them. This required reverence from them, and they greatly revered me and stood in awe of my name. They passed on to the people the truth of the instructions they received from me. They did not lie or cheat. They walked with me, living good and righteous lives, and they turned many from lives of sin. The words of a priest's lips should preserve knowledge of God, and people should go to him for instruction. For the priest is the messenger of the Lord's of armies, armies. But you priests have left God's paths. Your instructions have caused many to stumble into sin. You have corrupted the covenant I made with the Levites, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So I have made you despised and humiliated in the eyes of all the people. For you have not obeyed me, but have shown favoritism in the way you carry out my instructions. Father, help us with this now. We've read a lot. Father, so I pray that you would just give us some wisdom and discernment as we try to understand your word here in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry, that was a lot to read. I know that. But uh, as we read the the context of it, I hope it kind of helps us to understand a little bit more about it. So let's go back to verse 6. Let's take the next 15, 20 minutes or so and just kind of work through as much as we can. Verse 6 says, A son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, says the Lord, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. That's Malachi's statement. And then the people come back to him and say, well, wait, Malachi, you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? See, from this point on, Malachi is going to dig deep into the knickers of the people (laughs) because he has to. See, the people are defending themselves. 
And they're showing opposition to Malachi because they're, they're rebuting, they're refuting what he's saying. So now he's saying, okay, if you say we've shown contempt, where? Share, us, share with us, Malachi. Where have we shown contempt? So in their opinion, they've been doing things right all along. They are so deceived, they don't know they're deceived. That's the problem with deception. They've been going to temple. They've been given offerings. They've been presenting sacrifices. In their minds, they're doing great. So now Malachi has to get specific. And whenever you start getting specific, you run the risk of offense. Whenever you've got to start detailing out, okay, no, this is what you're doing wrong, now all of a sudden it's going to get personal. And this is what people don't like. <laughs> they don't like it when God gets personal. They don't mind it when he gets general, especially talking about other people. But like I said last week, we're, we're narcissistic in our nature. Let's be honest. We don't mind talking about other people's sins, but when you start talking about my sins, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 God, hang on here. I'm not as bad as you say I am. And God says, well, let's just talk about that a little bit. <laughs> let's peel back the covers a little bit. Let's see what's under the blankets, right? And that's what Malachi is about to do. See, Malachi understood that God loved his people so much that he had to tell the truth. It would have been a lot easier for Malachi to get, deterred, to get detoured here and to uh, get a little bit afraid of what the people were going to think of him by saying what God was about to say to him. But Malachi was a prophet. He was a prophet of God, and he said what, was, what God told him to say. And for that reason, Malachi is being honored today in heaven because God said, Malachi, you did what I asked you to do. You were good and faithful in the moment. Therefore, Malachi said what he said. And this is what he did. This got a little uncomfortable. But I've heard the old preacher saying this, that the job of a Christian teacher is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> comfort the afflicted. And for those that are comfortable, well, I'm going to stir you up a little bit. Because that's sometimes we need to get stirred up out of our slumber. Sometimes we can be so complacent, we can get so comfortable with God that we get contemptuous with God. Amen? Sometimes we can get so comfortable in our religious rites and our religious rituals that sometimes we need to get stirred up. And that will make us all a little uncomfortable. So that's what Malachi is intending to do here. But it's not to do it just for the sake of being controversial. He's doing it because he loves people. And God loves us. So now the issues were, they've said, now how have we shown contempt for your name? So now Malachi goes into verse 7. He shows, you have contempt for my name by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. And again, the people reply with a question and a defense. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? So again, they're asking Malachi to go deeper into the specifics. So Malachi has to do it. The people were so deceived thinking that it didn't matter what they did. It didn't matter what kind of sacrifices they brought. As long as he brought sacrifices, God was going to be happy. Do you think that the people didn't know that they were supposed to bring a perfect, unblemished animal? Do you think they didn't know that? Oh, they knew that. 
And, and I think people in today's world, do you think they know that sin is wrong? I think they know that. This gentleman that I was talking to that we prayed for earlier today, he knew. He knew what the Bible said. He told me. He quoted scriptures to me. He, not scriptures per se, but he told me the, what they meant. He knew. He just had a hard time doing it. That's why I have compassion for him. That's why I reach out to him. I love him because he's not promoting. He's, he, he says, I, I am a fornicator. I do all these bad things and I don't want to, but I just can't stop myself in some cases. And I get caught up in stuff and I say, man, I know what you're going through. I don't understand all of it, but I know what temptation is. So can I pray with you? And they said, yeah. So we prayed and just continuing to pray. But see, when people, when people are that way, we show love to them and we show compassion to them and we reach out our arms to them. We say, come on, let me help you. But when a person is claiming to be a Christ follower and they're saying all the right things, but then living it in the world, living wrong in the world, then coming back into church, saying all the right things again and, and being contemptuous and being prideful in their arrogance of their Christianity, that's, God's not very compassionate with that. That's, that gives God some point of anger because it's not being honest. It's not being truthful. So Malachi has to peel back the onion layers here one step at a time. And they were thinking that they were doing good by giving the defiled animal. And I think maybe what happened is that over the years, because it's been 100 years now since they've been brought back in a, from exile, and the, the temple was reinstated by Nehemiah and by Ezra and some of the other preceding people. So the people were getting back into the sacrifices again. So I think maybe over that 100-year time period, they just slowly got out of giving God's best and started saying, well, hey, I've got this other animal that's got a defect. I don't think God's going to notice it. I think if I give the, I think that, you know, that lamb that's got the limp, I think I'm going to give him that, and God won't notice it. And so over time, they gave a little bit less perfect, a little bit less perfect, a little bit less perfect, until they got to the point where they didn't even know they were expected to bring perfection or their best. They said, well, I'll just bring whatever I have, and God will be happy with it. So it happens over time. It didn't happen overnight. It happened over years of people just becoming so comfortable with God that sometimes we get sleepy with God and we slumber our way through our worship services. Rather than bringing our best to our worship services, we bring our sleepiness from Saturday night's parties <laughs> or the hard work of the week. We bring that to worship. We say, God, aren't you, we'll be, aren't you pleased with my worship when I'm... Oh. That's like, bringing a, that's like bringing an animal that's got a glimp. Then we think God's going to be pleased. Help us, Jesus. I can remember when going to church was something special. I can remember when I was a kid. Uh, we grew up on a farm until I was five, so I don't have a lot of farm time, but a little bit. But then moving to the big city, Petoskey, then Charlevoix, yeah. But I can remember when we went to church that we dressed up. I remember putting a suit and tie on. I don't have one on today, do I? I can remember where it was going to church meant I put on clothes I didn't wear throughout the week. They were special. They were Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. <laughs> I even took a bath on Saturday night, whether I needed it or not. We watched Flipper, Lawrence Welk, and my dad peeled apples as we got her in our bath time pajamas. 
come to church on Sunday morning all dressed up and ready for church. You remember that? Remember how church was special? But now look how I come. I come pretty casual. Now, I'm not saying that you have to wear a suit to be spiritual. I'm not saying that. When I was in the business world, when I started there back in the early 80s, we wore ties and suits as a, uh, when I worked for Rockwell Automation, we were required to wear a suit and a tie. And the vice president of sales, he was a stickler for it. If your shoes weren't polished and he saw it, you were in trouble. I mean, it was almost like a military. And we had to wear suits and ties, and we had to work, we had to walk in the factories, and we had to climb on machines and look around and get dirty, get down on our hands and knees sometimes, and we would say, well, what happens if we tear your suit coat or your pants? He'd say, well, buy another pair. But we wore them. And then it, in the mid-'80s, early-'90s, it got business casual, which was really nice. So then we went away from our suits and ties and we could wear business casual. And I will tell you, can I be honest with you? I will say that it took some time. When I started, when I took off the tie for the first few times, I didn't really feel like I was going to work. There was a respect that I had with the clothes that I wore. Going into work in a suit and tie, I felt more professional. I felt more like I was on the job. And it took me some time to get used to the business casual. And then it went to be business sloppy. And then it went to be, I didn't have to tuck my shirt in anymore. Well, we got a little trouble there. But I just, but my whole point of this is, do you see how once we start a compromise, how, how quickly it goes to the other extreme from formal business casual to business sloppy to come any way you are and no respect at all. And I'm not saying that because you don't have a suit on today, you're not respecting God. Some of us even have shorts on, and I wish I did. Because I wear shorts throughout the day. And I will just be honest with you, I shave one time a week, Saturday night. I look like Mark most of the time. I get that. You know, I, maybe I, I hope I'm not disrespecting people, but sometimes I'll shave on Wednesday before I come to church on Wednesday. But uh, I'll shave Saturday night. But I just, I just get comfortable that way. But I, I don't know. I hope, it does, I hope it's not impacting my worship, though. And I hope that the fact that we're coming casually doesn't impact our worship. Uh, I pray that it's not. But I just wanted to know that, that we can become so comfortable that sometimes we get sloppy. And I'm not even going to begin to get close to getting through here today, so I'm not going to try. I'm sorry that I get waylaid sometimes. But I think the enemy can use the slipping of respect in our clothing to actually slipping in respect in our worship. And I pray that that doesn't happen. I pray that we, like we started the service off today by asking the Holy Spirit to be in control of the service, I don't need to ask him to be in control. He wants to be in control. He's asking me, will you let me? That's the question. (laughs) He wants to be in control of your life. The question is, will we allow him to be? We don't have to beg him. We don't have to beg him to uh, be concerned about us. But the question comes back to, I'm concerned about you, Mike, but are you concerned about me? Are you concerned about letting me have my way in your life? That's the question. Yeah. Malachi, he continues in verse 7. 
He says, you defile them by saying, the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals the sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Notice that Malachi is not talking about bad sins. He's not talking about people that are fornicating. He's not, people, he's not talking to people that are getting drunk or that are having uh, idol worship. What he's talking about is, very simply, you're not giving God your best. Not giving God the best is the same as giving God the worst in Malachi's vernacular. If you're not giving God your best, then you're giving him your worst. And then you're expecting God to be pleased. That's what Malachi is saying to his people. You know, I have to turn to the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 3. Go from the last book of the Old Testament to the last book of the Bible, of the New Testament. Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. This first three chapters of Revelation is seven letters to the churches, seven different churches that Jesus commends and, re- and rebukes, seven different churches for, for the way they were living. The last one, the church of Laodicea, he says in chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Do you see any correlation here between a lukewarm church and the church that gives their leftovers to God? A lukewarm heart versus the heart that gives their first priority to God. I think that's what he's looking at here, is that the lukewarmness of a person's heart says, I'll give whatever I have left over and I'm going to expect it to be good enough. Whereas a hot church or a cold church. Cold means freshing, refreshing water. There's a whole testament, the whole teaching on that. I'm not going there. Hot or cold are good. Lukewarm is bad. Because lukewarm indicates that I'm comfortable. I'm too comfortable giving God what's left over. I'm too comfortable giving God the little bit that I have left over and rather than giving him of the first, of the first priority. See, giving God out of our abundance may seem that all God desires. Out of our abundance, we give a lot out of our abundance. But I'm going to say that it appears more that giving God to God out of our need is what God's looking for. I can have a lot of money, and I can give a lot of money, but if it doesn't cost me anything, really, then it's not really impactful in God's heart. But if I don't have a lot and I still give... If I don't have a lot and I still give, that hurts me or sacrifices. Or if I have a lot and I give a lot until it sacrifices, until it hurts. That was, that's what God's looking for. That's the first priority of things. He, God's not saying if it, just, if it doesn't cost you anything, thanks for giving it. But, you know, it's not really what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is the heart of the giver that's willing to give when it hurts. Hmm. You know, there's a story, I'm not going to read it now, but in Mark it talks about the little, the widow that gave her might, or gave her two pennies while the rich were given their much. Jesus sat at the, in the temple watching the people giving. Interesting that Jesus was watching them give money. He was watching them because he could see their heart and how they gave. 
people that had a lot of money, they'd bring their bags of money in and they'd throw the money in those metal containers and you would make all kinds of noise, all kinds of racket as that change is hitting the metal and it's clanging and making, like playing drums, making all kinds of noise. That's the way I play drums. I just make noise. And that would show the people, whoa, they gave a lot of money. Look how much money that guy gave. Look at all the noise they have. And so then you, Jesus watches this little widow walk up with all she's got is two pennies, two mites. And she walks up and she just carefully places that in the money. It makes no noise. Ting, ting. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, she gave more to the temple than anybody they gave with all the money they've given. Why? Because Jesus measures things differently. His measurement system is different than our measurement system. He, she gave of her, of her need. They gave out of their abundance and it really didn't hurt them. But it sure sounded good. She didn't make any noise, but she gave out of her need. And Jesus said she gave more than anybody. That's the heart that Jesus is looking for. Jackie, would you come? Verse 9, he says, go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Ask the Lord of hosts. Ask the Lord of heaven's armies. Go ahead. Malachi says, beg God to be merciful to you, but look at what you've given him. Do you really expect? And I'm not saying that we're going to buy God. That's not what Malachi is saying here at all. We're not going to buy our, our, our mercy and our grace with God. We're not buying it. But it's a revelation of our heart is what it is. It's a showing of who we are. It's a showing of our heart's condition by the way that we honor God. So we are to honor and respect God. This is just the beginning of Malachi We're going to get into more of it the next week or so, and he's going to continue to talk to the priests because he's got to continue to talk to them so they understand. But today, for us today, we have the assurance that this morning, even if you're broken, even if we have a broken heart, whether here or you're watching online, whatever, if you're broken and if you know you're broken, God loves you and God wants to fix you. you're not a leftover. (laughs) We may give God our leftovers, but you're not a leftover when it comes to God's love. His first priority is to love you to the point that he wants to call you back into relationship with him. We do that by accepting Jesus. We do that by asking him to come into our heart. We do that by acknowledging that we're sinful people. We do that by saying, Jesus, I'm sorry that I've dishonored you. I'm sorry that I haven't respected you the way I should have all of my life. And I want to change today. I want to make my day. I want to make this the new day in my life. And we can do that by simply asking him for his forgiveness. And then we're on a new course, a new journey, a new life. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, we are just so grateful that you are a merciful God, so thankful that you give us second, third, fourth, and millionth chances. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just deal with us today. Wherever we're at, we may be a very solid, mature Christian believer that that is faithful to you, that honors you, and that we're, and we're found faithful, and you're pleased with us. And I thank the Lord for those people that are like that. And there are those, Lord, that may not be quite that level. And there are those that maybe don't even know where to start. 
But I pray, Father, that you would just go to each one of us where we're at in our secret place and deal with us right where we need to be dealt with. Let your Holy Spirit's power get through the veneer of our lives, of our hearts, and go deep within us that we would understand what you would have us to get out of messages like this, that we would see your love and we would see your call back to follow you even more closer. And we ask this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As always, call me through the week. Call somebody. Talk to people. Don't be alone. Let the Lord draw you to somebody else and be that level of influence and encouragement. Or if you need help, ask for help. Amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie and Larry are playing and then we'll dismiss and go home. Father, have your way in us today throughout this week as we go to our homes and our places of work. Help us to be the evangelists that you call us to be in our marketplace. I pray that you empower your people to love you and to to be strengthened today. Be pleased in Jesus' name. Be pleased with us. Amen. Be blessed today as you go to your homes. We love you. Thank you for being here. Be blessed.